From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Issues affecting transgender people seem to be at the forefront, advanced through discussions by medical leaders, policymakers, and the media. This comes after decades of invisibility, but it's not without controversy. Here to talk about this with me in the HealthLink on Air studio is Kellen Baker. He's the Centennial Scholar in the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, and he's at Upstate to give a lecture about transgender health policy. Welcome, Mr. Baker. Thanks so much for having me, Amber. What percentage of the population is transgender? So this is actually surprisingly difficult to figure out. One of the big reasons for that is because there traditionally hasn't been a great deal of regular data collection on federally supported surveys or any other type of place where we typically get pictures of what the U.S. population looks like, who are people living in the United States, according to factors such as race or ethnicity or primary language or any of those factors that we might see on a survey. Gender identity has historically not been there. Over the last couple of years, however, an increasing number of surveys, such as the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System, which is a survey that is asked by every state in partnership with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And thanks to some of that increased data collection, we've been able to get some estimates. So estimates range pretty widely from about 0.2% of the population to about 3% of the population. The most recent numbers that come from the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System are an estimate that about 1.4 million Americans are transgender, which is about 0.6% of the population. Oh, interesting. Well, let's talk about um, uh, transgender people in terms of access to medical care. Is it hard to find uh, a doctor just for sore throats and normal kind of -of run-of-the-mill sorts of medical care? It really is. I mean, one of the biggest consequences of the long-time invisibility of transgender people and the historical lack of interest in the needs of transgender individuals is that there has historically not been a focus on making sure that healthcare providers know who transgender people are, know what their healthcare needs are, and even more concerningly, when you look at how expensive care often is in the United States, health insurance carriers have frequently not covered any care related to being transgender, which has historically been very broadly interpreted to mean pretty much anything that has happened to a transgender person. So for example, oh, you have uh, hypertension or you've had a heart attack or what have you, or even what a lot of people refer to as the transgender broken bone syndrome. You have a broken bone, well, that might be because you were playing a sport well, but really we think it might be because of those hormones. So we can't actually treat you, we can't actually cover the care that you need because everything about transgender people is assumed to be related to gender affirmation or to gender transition. Are there people who see that as discriminatory? That has increasingly been the pose that a lot of, well, previously the federal government had actually released a regulation in 2016 that described the ways in which transgender people have historically faced barriers to health insurance coverage and healthcare, and noted that, for example, healthcare providers refusing to treat a transgender person or a health insurance carrier refusing to cover the care that they need, that that is discrimination and that it is not allowed, in that case under the Affordable Care Act. The current federal administration is backing away from that position, but 
fortunately, I would say, for the benefit of transgender people across the country, that that is actually starting to take hold as something of a norm that we're seeing in a lot of hospitals and other healthcare organizations and health insurance carriers as well, is recognizing that transgender people are people and their healthcare needs are just as legitimate as the healthcare needs of anybody else. So they should be able to get the care they need when they need it. So do you have any examples of um, people that have been affected by not being able to get health care? Yes, unfortunately, this is something that happens quite a lot in some of the reported cases. Um, Kyler Prescott, for example, a young transgender boy who committed suicide after being repeatedly misgendered and mistreated in a mental health clinic that was supposed to be helping him and supporting him in his gender identity. There's, for example, another case, uh, another transgender man named Jay Callio, who died of breast cancer after a significant delay in his treatment because the doctor never communicated the diagnosis because he was so uncomfortable with the fact that Jay was a transgender man. So Jay actually found out about the diagnosis by accident when a nurse called to ask him how his treatment was going. And he had to say, treatment for what? And within a couple of years, unfortunately, that delay proved fatal. Well, let's talk about what healthcare is like for transgender people. Um, if they have trouble finding a provider to begin with, um, that's got to be difficult to get care of any sort, right? Most definitely. One of the biggest barriers for transgender people is either the experience of discrimination that they encounter when they're walking into a doctor's office, for example, being told, we don't treat your kind here, or the fear of discrimination because the transgender population is relatively small. I mean, 1.4 million people, but still, word travels fast about where's safe and where's not. And historically, a lot of places have not been safe for transgender people to seek healthcare services, either because they won't get the care that they need because the doctor or the provider doesn't know how to provide it, or because of, again, a door that is simply closed in someone's face. So there's a number of surveys that have looked at this issue over the last couple of years. One of the biggest is the USTS, or the US Transgender Survey, which is a nationwide survey of almost 28,000 people that was done in 2015. And they found that about one in four transgender respondents, again, out of 28,000 people from across the country, Almost one in four, 23%, reported avoiding healthcare when they needed it because they were afraid of experiencing discrimination. And that's the kind of thing that contributes to, unfortunately, the health disparities that we see in this population. Higher rates, for example, of totally preventable conditions such as cardiovascular disease or HIV. Well, I would hope that just like word travels about, you know, this is not a safe place to go, hopefully, word would travel when there is a provider who's welcoming. Um, then mm -hmm. maybe that would, you know, make, make the rounds through the population and mm -hmm. bring most definitely. In. And, it, and it's actually interesting. Um, the, there are providers here at, uh, at upstate who are becoming known as providing care related to gender transition, helping people, um, for example, when they've had surgery somewhere else and need follow-up care. Um, and there are a, a, a handful of places, um, both in New York, uh, upstate New York, and then across the country, where word is starting to get out that there are providers and hospitals and health insurance carriers and organizations that want to make sure that trans people can get the care they need. So transition-related care, um, are insurance, health insurance providers covering that these days? 
Increasingly so, and this is related to the actions that we were talking about earlier with regard to non-discrimination, the regulation from the federal government that expressly said that you cannot have a coverage exclusion in your policy that targets transgender people because the healthcare that transgender people need is for sometimes the condition that's called gender dysphoria or is for the purpose of, as I prefer to call it, gender affirmation. But the services and procedures that are being provided are really no different from those that might be needed by cisgender, that's non-transgender people, for a variety of other conditions, such as an endocrine disorder or reconstructive surgery following cancer or an injury. So health insurance carriers are increasingly coming around to this recognition that, again, transgender people are just people and that their healthcare needs are just as legitimate as those of anybody else. Um, here in New York State, actually, there has been uh, a couple of rounds of changes at the state level to enhance or advance upon those protections at the federal level. So a couple of years ago, the Department of Insurance here in New York, the Department of Financial Services, uh, issued a bulletin that interpreted state law, existing state law, to say that it is not permittable to have transgender-specific ex exclusions in private insurance. And subsequently, uh, New York State Medicaid also made that change, which is incredibly important, um, both because of the importance of state action with the changes on the federal level and with regard to Medicaid because of what we know about the severe experiences of poverty that many transgender people experience and the degree to which Medicaid coverage can be so life-saving. Right. This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with uh, visiting lecturer Kellen Baker from the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health about transgender health policy. Are there health issues that disproportionately affect transgender people, not related to gender affirmation or, mm -hmm. or any of that care, but are there other mm -hmm. health issues? So that's a great question. And it's interesting because, you know, not related to gender affirmation in the sense of not necessarily healthcare services that are needed for gender affirmation, but looking at the experiences that transgender people have of stigma, prejudice, and discrimination, what are the ways in which those experiences manifest in the health of transgender people? So for example, higher rates of depression and anxiety are very common in the transgender population. And suicidality, for example, the rate of suicide attempts in the transgender population is about nine times higher than in the general U.S. population. And that's, again, because of this embodiment of the stigma and the discrimination that so many transgender people are experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis, not just in healthcare, but in employment, at school, walking down the street. Nine times. Nine times higher. Um, there was a survey by the CDC in 2014 that looked at health-related quality of life and it found that compared with cisgender adults, transgender adults smoke more and are less physically active. Why mm -hmm. would that be? And that, again, relates back to, it's actually a, a sort of concept or a model that's called minority stress. And what it does is it seeks to describe this pathway by which these experiences of discrimination become manifest in people's physical and mental health. So, for example, if you are dealing with constant stigma, bias, discrimination, when you're just trying to go about your day-to-day -day life, what are some of the ways that you might be coping with that? Some of the ways that you might be coping with that include, unfortunately, health risk behaviors that might include 
higher rates of tobacco use. So that's all the more reason why it's been so important in focusing on how to get rid of some of these barriers to healthcare, because we do know that there are some risk factors that are higher in the transgender population. For example, you noted smoking or tobacco use. And so making sure that transgender people can get access both to gender affirming care and to those regular preventive services, those regular healthcare services that we all need and that we all need to make sure that we're staying on top of our health and staying healthy. Let's talk about where things stand policy-wise in 2018 in terms of protections for transgender people. It's really something that is becoming um, a very unfortunate point of contention isn't even strong enough a word. Um, The previous presidential administration, President Obama, had instituted a lot of changes that were making it easier for transgender people to get the health care that they need and to have protections in places such as employment and in school. And the current administration does not believe that these are important changes and in many cases has actually indicated its intent to undo those changes entirely. So one of the very first changes that the incoming Trump administration made was to rescind guidance from the Department of Education that had made it possible for school districts nationwide to ensure that transgender young people can use appropriate facilities, the bathroom right? Making sure that they can be recognized as the boys or girls that they are, that they can go to school and feel safe and have access to the facilities that they need to get through the day, right? Everybody needs to use the bathroom. And when it comes to healthcare protections, again, the regulation from 2016 explicitly included non-discrimination protections for transgender people in health insurance coverage and healthcare. And the administration in a pretty widely uh, televised or, or high profile move has signaled its intent to remove those protections from the law entirely. This was, uh, listeners may be familiar with the story that broke, I believe it was in September, uh, with a leaked memorandum from the Department of Justice indicating the administration um, does not agree with the legal position that existing non-discrimination laws include transgender people. And so there's been a lot of speculation about what exactly that attempt to rescind or eradicate those protections will look like. Um, But unfortunately, it's something that runs counter to what the evidence shows transgender people need, which is access to not just gender affirming care, but any type of care that anyone should have in order to make sure they can be healthy. Um, military service too, right? Yes, military service with... is another another major flashpoint. Um, and in fact, I think just last Friday, um, the uh, Trump administration was reported as having asked the Supreme Court to allow the transgender military ban. So the reinstatement of the ban on transgender people serving openly in the military, um, the administration has asked the court to review um, and presumably with the expectation that that uh, policy will be allowed to go through. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for your time. My guest has been Kellen Baker, the Centennial Scholar in the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.